Welcome to the Game Breakers podcast, where we aim to bring you tips, insights and experience from the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay and today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host Danny Wilson. But today we're joined by former Hull FC, Bradford Bulls and England player, and most notably, back-to-back Challenge Cup winner, winning head coach Lee Radford. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Thank you, fellas. Jumping down. Yeah, uh, good afternoon Lee, thank you very much for your time mate, uh, nice easy access to the uh, technology today, so it's good to see you. Thank you Daniel. Sweet, we'll, we'll kick off then. Um, like I say, the way we've been doing these podcasts is getting to know the person behind the, the coach or the player, uh, first and foremost, so just describe to us in one sentence, uh, Lee Radford. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who's describing it, I suppose. Um, if I'm describing it, it's all good, I think. Um, don't know. Uh, honest, I think. I like to think I'm honest. Um, as a person, uh, caring, I think. Um, protective, I reckon. That, that applies in all areas. Uh, as a player, a father, son, all the same. Yeah, I think yeah, I think them characteristics are um, across the board in, in most things at all, definitely. Obviously, Lee, working closer with you at Hull, know a little bit about you and your background. I know you've got two sons who are aspiring young rugby players. How does that influence or impact on your relationship, then wanting to probably follow in your footsteps? Um, yeah, it's definitely had an influence in regards to their upbringing, you know, it's all they've ever known, I suppose. Um, and I think probably brings a little bit of pressure as well, or added pressure um, towards them as well. Um, but I think, you know, it's hard sometimes to differentiate from the parent to the, to the coach. They don't tend to listen to me a great deal um, as a coach. Um, but then if you say the same thing, um, in exactly the same terminology, I'm pretty sure there is a prick up and did show a different response. So, um, yeah, as it's pros and it's cons, I suppose. I mean, that's natural. If I was to say it, over what you used to say, they would, they would, would listen more. Uh, <laughs> the, how does that go with, with, with them in terms of... You said they don't listen to you when it comes to coaching and stuff. Did, it, did they ever come back to you for feedback on their performances and how do, how do they, those two get on with each other? Um, they get, I think their relationships get better as they get older, I think. Um, you know, they've always had it. They've always, they don't show it much, but they, they genuinely care for each other. So, um, like all teenage boys, they're always scrapping and winding each other up and, you know, Logan's got a mouth on him like his mother, and he, he don't know when to say, um, he don't know when to stop and say no. So sometimes it continues and gets a little, little bit out of hand. Um, but no, they're, you know, they're both healthy and competitive kids. And, um, you know, both enjoy playing a lot and enjoy the game. And that was something that I was um, conscious of when I took them down to rugby at, at seven or eight or however old I was. I didn't want to enforce it on them. Um, I wanted them to enjoy it. I tried my best not to get involved in, you know, with any of their coaching sessions, even though you can imagine how many times, you know, he was asked. You know, I always tried and take a, a backward step and let them, I suppose, be the, be the people and the players that they're, they're going to be. 
obviously still in your personal life I know you, you work hard in your other interests away from the game Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how they came about um, yeah I, I you know whilst playing I I wanted something to fall back on I've obviously seen you know plenty of kids and players um, pick up an injury that finished their careers and, and come to the end of the careers and have nothing to fall back on and you know you see that so many times time and time again and you know great players with the world at their feet but you know sustain an injury that finishes them and I think I think you know whilst at Bradford Carl Pratt was one of them you know he was a great Britain um, utility player grand final winner you know, we signed him from Leeds great kid um, and you know blew both his shoulders out and you know at the age of 23 24 was was finished and um you know in terms of what he put away and what he'd done was probably very minimal so to see somebody go from the top of the world to the bottom so quickly was was um scary i suppose so i you know i've always had it in the back of my mind that i would try and pull something away from the game and you know come up with a an idea of opening a rubber shop in all originally um and ran that for four or five years. Um, ISC, which is actually, you know, a whole sponsorship at the moment um, in terms of kit manufacturers. They stopped selling to retail shops. So when that closed, it, I just literally got a bar in town. I put a, invested in a bar in town and turned that into a coffee bar and um, somehow managed to, to go in that direction. So quite... Obviously, aware of obstacles that can come come in your way, and, and find a way to overcome overcome them pretty comfortably is good. Yeah, I, mean, I think you get you know you get plenty definitely as a sports as a sports person. You, you're challenged um, throughout your career, even even when you you know you're at, you're at your peak. You know, staying there is an actual challenge. So um, yeah, I think I think that's one thing. At any um, top athlete has to have is a, is a little bit of resilience and ability to overcome challenges without a doubt. Yeah, just uh, obviously you mentioned Hull there and obviously massive ambassador for, for everything that we've done, you know, recently when we're working with each other as well and, you know, talk about being hard work and everything. How would you describe, and we've asked this to a couple of lads that we've had from Lancashire as well, how would you describe the traits of someone from Hull? Um... <clears throat> We're a different breed, I think. I think I think we're judged differently. Yeah, we. Uh, it seems to be the end of you know the end of the '62. It's a corridor by itself, and it? it's like the last stop. Um, all people. How would you describe all people? Um, I, I think it's a blue collar. You know, it's an old fishing city, and and, and you know, hard work, and from the docks, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of good salt of the earth people here. It's like anywhere, I suppose. There's a lot of vermin. There's a lot of great people. There's, there's some great athletes. There's some um, great sportsmen to, to come out of the city. So, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't think, you know, describing someone from all is there's one umbrella that covers everything. I think there's, there's like most places, there's, um, there's the good and the bad. Yeah, and then do you think you ref you reflect them? Sorry, Rob. Do you think you reflect the the good, the hard working arm of Hull Engines pretty well? Um, 
Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I can think of plenty of people who tell me different, but I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, what would you say your your key values are? Um, I think I've already touched on it. I think I think I, I speak what I think. Um, so I guess that comes under the honesty bracket. I think I'm pretty humble. I think at, you know at one point. During my career or during my youth, I wanted to I wanted to be famous, I suppose, like like be recognised. And then I think at a certain point in your career or a certain stage in your life, that doesn't mean too much to you, and um, you're more worried about you know putting food on the table for your family. I think I think your your purpose changes throughout your career. Um, so I think yeah, humble, hard working, and honest. Uh, Know, the three I'd, I'd like to think I am and try to aspire to be. You know, obviously every day you have your a blip or a, you take a wrong turn sometimes, but you know I try and stay to those um, traits as best as I can. Again, myself and Rob both knowing you, I think they are exactly who you are, honest and you're certainly humble. And um, we'll talk a little bit later on about what happens when you you give your opinion. People maybe disagree with that. Um, just gonna just gonna move on to your playing career. Um, obviously, starting at Hull FC, um, debuted at seventeen. Can you take us through that journey from starting at, at East Hull and, and, and where that has ended up until? Yeah, that that was a. Um, I couldn't believe how quick that happened. So I, I I never met the you know I was I was an okay junior, but I never met. Um, I never got selected for England to play France every year. The, the age group would play France. Um, we actually, the, my age actually played at Costello in, in Hull. Um, so to not make that was was really disappointing. Um, and then from signing from amateur to um, professionally, I just hit the ground running. I don't know how, and I don't know, you know, why there was such a, a quick improvement. Um, but I think I was 16, I was 16 when I made my debut. So in the same year, I'd gone from playing under-16s in the Ulland District League to playing um, a Challenge Cup game for, for all FC and making my debut. And um, it, it was timing was good. You know, we had a new coach who wanted to invest in youth um, in Phil Sigsworth. So I think I think that helped. Um, we got a, a good draw in the Challenge Cup. who was always expected to beat Unsworth. Um, so there was no real pressure of carrying me on the bench, I don't think. But um, yeah, it was certainly a special, you know, it was a special achievement. Um, probably not at the time because you're just taking everything in your stride. But when you, you know, when you look back on that, you know, to have a, to be the youngest player to play for the club with such a fine history and some special players before it is, um, you know, something that makes you proud, definitely. Yeah, and obviously not too long after that year, you moved to Bradford. How did that come about, and how did you cope with that move? Uh, yeah, it was controversial. That was a controversial move. So I played for Yorkshire. I got picked for Yorkshire uh, under 18s. Um, I think the same season of, of making my debut. And Ryan Noble was the, the head coach of Yorkshire Academy at the time, and um, he took a real shine to me. Um, and made a couple of phone calls when my contract was up for a renewal. And Matt Elliott came over. I met, met Matt Elliott in secret. Um, I met him on Morrison's car park on Ulmus Road and I actually had my old shark's car with a big shark on the front of the bonnet, um, which worked out all right because when he offered me the deal, he, 
he'd not put a car in there. So straight away, he had to add a car in there as soon as he saw my vehicle. So, um, and then me and my partner went across to Odsall and watched a couple a game there, and that that was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was it was that party atmosphere that you know what Super League. Um, was about at the time when it started. The, the the Bulls did it in a different way, and you know, still spoke about now. I think how how they went about that and the marketing and the pre-game and the post-game entertainment was yeah, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. So that really blew me away, and agreed to sign with them. Then got itchy feet and wanted to stay back at Hull. Uh, didn't want to move. Didn't want to move out the city. Um, so went. Went to a senior player in Graham Hallis um, and asked him how I'd go about it and I'd made a mistake and I was, what do I do? And he put me onto an agent who said he could get me out of the deal at, at Bradford. And um, it wrangled on for a few weeks. I'd turned up training at Boulevard one day and they said they needed to go to the office to sign your deal. I was panicking because I, I didn't want to sign for two clubs. Um, luckily, when I got to the office, it was just a photo. It was just it was a blank piece of paper with me signing it, and it met Bill Daily Mail on the evening that I'd resigned. And then when I come out of that room, the agent had left two or three messages, you know, begging me not to sign anything because Bradford was going to ask for a transfer fee. So um, it turned out, you know, I had I had to go to Bradford, but it turned out it was the best um, forceful forceful move that you know I've ever ever had. You know, when you look back at my playing career. How did you find that travel to, to Bradford? It was a breeze. It was um, it was funny because where I lived, I was straight on the A63. Um, and the time I set off, there was no traffic on the road. And then I came back to Hull in 2005. We started training at half 10 up at Brantingham. It took me an hour, it took me an hour and 15 to get from my house to Brantingham. And you know, I could get to Bradford quicker at uh, after seven, eight o'clock in the morning. So the, I think that's called irony, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you said then that you wanted to stay in Hull, and for, for those reasons you explained, you, you were forced to, to make that step. And the years that followed, you know, three minor premierships, three grand final winners' medals, two Challenge Cup winners' medals, and a World Cup Challenge winners' medal. Just to explain that journey, explain those moments, and, and what it means to you, and what do you think you need? to be able to achieve such success as a team and as an individual? That, that, um, that, those trophies and, and all that, that came, it, it sort of rolls off the tongue, but it was it wasn't a quick thing. I didn't, I didn't sort of break the team, break the 13 in particular, till I was 21, 22. So I moved there when I was 18. I had probably three, four seasons of... Missing out every week and, and being a bit part player, so um, I think I was 18th man. Well, I, I, know, I don't think I know. I was an 18th man in the Challenge Cup final. I was an 18th man in the World Cup Challenge. I actually got told um, day of the game that I won't play in when I'd gone out to check to see for what size studs I needed. Um, nobody gave me a tap on the shoulder and told me I won't play in. Um, and I was an 18th man in the grand final as well. So um, I'd suffered plenty of um, disappointments prior to actually breaking the team um, and I think that again that that made me stronger and just want it more and you know coming home crying sometimes when I've been told I won't play um, 
literally for an hour on the motorway. It's a long time to cry for. <laughs> but it but it happened on a few occasions, and um, you know, I think I think that made me stronger, and you know, made me a, a more determined player. I think. Is that had an impact on when you was coaching then of how you deal with players? Those moments. I think I think I could sympathise with some without a doubt. I think I think I can remember. It's Jordan Thompson in the 16 final. Somehow missed out, and I told him two days before. And I can just remember passing him the information one side of the table from the other, and having a flashback of when I was sat at that table and exactly how he was thinking. So to sit, to have it, having experienced it, I think um, helps. Certainly, you know, it's certainly not a hindrance. That is for sure. You said it made you stronger or more determined. How, how how did you show that? I just I don't know. I I think the group the, the the group of players we had there and and the environment you had you had to you had to have a bit of steel and a bit of um, commitment about you to to be successful in that team because there were some outspoken people at the top. You know, you Brian Max and you Jimmy Laws, um, you Mike Forshaw, you Ben and Dwyer's was all old hard ass rugby league players and if you want pulling your weight you knew about it real quick um, for some reason it took a bit of a liking to me I, I think I you know I, I worked hard when I got there anyway so I always wanted to you know I remember doing pre-season and training during the day and then coming home and going to body weld on a night time just to try and get a jump on, on people and try and get a little bit bigger and a bit stronger you know those sorts of um those sorts of traits are, are important, I think. I think if you do the same as everybody else, you're only going to be as good as everybody else. You know, finding that little bit extra is, is important. And obviously, paid off dividends going and winning as much as you did. Yeah, I think, and it was, again, you know, I, I always, I've told this story a couple of times, but, so we played, I made my debut against St. Helens on, um, on a Friday, on a Friday night. Um, we got hammered. We got, you know, beat comfortably at St. Helens. And um, I can remember going into Road and Meadows where we used to train at up at Bradford the next day. And we, we'd normally start for nine o'clock start, ten half nine. And I'd come in and the full car park was full. Normally when I got there, I'd get there a little bit early. So, you know, the, just to meet, beat the traffic really. And um the car park was full. I came into Road and Meadows, and as you come through the door, you can see where the gym is. You know, there's a sports hall, and then there was a gym. And um, I can just, you know, I remember the sight. Paul Anderson was laid on his back with steam coming off his head. He'd collapsed off the rowing machine. And Mike Forshaw was all, they all looked like they'd just ran six marathons. They, they looked gone, and they'd all played the night before um, against St. Helens. And I, I can remember coming in thinking I've got my times wrong. So I, Marty Elliott's office was upstairs. So I shot upstairs to go and apologise to him. And, um, you know, it turns out I'd not got my time wrong. They'd all come in early and, and you know, hammered themselves physically um, because of the defeat the night before. And I just think when that seven, eight, nine of your senior playing group have got that mentality, then you only need a little bit of talent to, to actually do something, you know. Fortunately, we had a little bit more than a little bit of talent. We just had a, a group of players that was incredibly driven. 
you sort of spoke a little bit about environment. I think when you've got players that are doing that and prepared to be as accountable as they were, clearly, adds to that environment and obviously rewards you with some success. I think, you know, that's, that story, the impression it made on me as a 19-year-old was, you know, I better pull my finger out here. I better do a little bit more. I better, I better go a bit harder. And that, what they did, fill it down. You know, and I don't think it's any coincidence. You Leon Prices, you Paul Deacons, you Stuart Fieldings, you Stuart Readings, you Rob Parkers, all came back. All came through on the back end of probably what them senior blokes, the the, the path that them senior blokes had, had walked, I suppose. Obviously, being involved within there, how hard was that then to to move on? But obviously, coming back home, yeah, it really tough. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to come back. I wanted to stay out of the Bulls. You know, we had a, uh, in 2005, we'd won it. Um, but the club had it, financial um, pressures. I, I don't know whether the salary cap had just started to come in at that point as well. So that was obviously going to have massive implications. I think 13 players left the group that year. And, you know, not, not your average 13 players. There was, you know, the likes of Jamie Peacock, the likes of Robbie Paul, the likes of Leon Price. It tore the, the team, you know, to pieces, really. So, um, I was fortunate enough that Hull did come back in for me because, you know, I ended up coming to a, uh, coming home, I suppose. What, what was that walking out from a, from a Bradford group that's just won the league into, into Hull? It was different. <laughs> it was different. It was, the environment was looser, that is for sure. Yeah, they had um, a lot more relaxed that. Um, group when I was captain that team Lee what was was that like tough tough um, probably the first time I, I didn't captain at junior level um, captain the academy um, but that was the first time yeah I think I think it's it's an incredibly challenging place to be when, when you're not playing particularly well but you still have to show leadership qualities around the group and um, I found that really challenging you know leading after you'd not performed well one week was, was tough and I couldn't quite it took a while to get to get better at that Obviously leader, leadership qualities what, what were those that you thought you wanted to bring to the group? Um I don't know. I thought I was honest. I, thought, I, I always wanted to be a player that players liked playing with. You know, like the fact that he was lined up next to him. That that was always my. Um, that's always what I wanted to be. You know, from the get go, and um, I always tried to be that thing. And obviously, um, transitioning then into coaching. That was that over time, and then was it something that you always wanted to do? Was going into coaching. No, that that was something I just yeah I really enjoyed it. I I, I got an opportunity to coach another eights team at Eastall, um, and took them right through to under 16s And I think we got seven lads signed professional from that team. I think three of them made super, played Super League, which was you know from one team is a pretty pretty big achievement. Um, I think Scott Spav went on to play, Liam Cunningham went on to play for all, and obviously Josh Hodgson went to play as well. Um, and then a, a number of them played championship as well. So 
Um, I really enjoyed that, watching them grow up. And when you watch some of the videos back, it's, it's entertaining. Um, and then during that period, got, also got asked to coach the Open Age team at Eastall as well. So was coaching two teams um, during the week, which, you know, for a lad that played in Bradford as well, was didn't have much spare time on my hands, that's for sure. What made you commit? When you had that much spare time, why did you commit to that? I don't know, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed seeing the kids develop, I think. I, I always, back of my mind, wanted to go into it. You know, it's what I wanted to do past my playing career. Um, and I just thought I'd get a jump on it. Um, but yeah, I had some great times doing it as well. You know, at, at amateur level, because, you know, them kids, particularly at open age, at work all, all day, finishing at half five, racing to get to training and then giving up an hour, two hours at a time. Um, you know, that's, they're doing it for the love. They're not doing it for anything else but, but the, um, the love of the game, I suppose. Obviously, I had success as a coach, and people won't always see. I mean, people in all I know you will, but not everybody will see the background and the apprenticeship you've, you've served. You know, coaching under eights, coaching a men's team at amateur, you know, all the way through. You've, you've mentioned that you're, you're an honest bloke um, and humble, but your coaching philosophy, what you, what you want in a player, how you want your team to play, what is, can you, can you, articulate your coaching philosophy to us. Can you tell us what it is and what values as a coach you hold? Yeah, I think I think you want you want the team to represent yourself. Um, and when they don't, that's extremely disappointing. And um, you know those traits you've just spoke about. You know, you you try your absolute hardest in terms of recruitment to bring them type of people in, and you try and keep hold of the ones that have that in the locker room. Um, but ultimately, you, you don't really see the player till he comes through the door. So, you know, sometimes you get really lucky and sometimes um, sometimes you don't. Um, you know, the good coaches get it right more times than wrong, I suppose. And then, I think, oh, sorry, well, I was going to touch on it. Because what about mentally there in terms of you want them, the, the players coming in and be... Yeah, you know, I, I think what, and, I, what I spoke about there... At Oddsall, what we had at Oddsall, I think I think every player starts at a similar playing level at academy when they sign at 15, 16. Um, some players develop because they develop physically better. Um, but most players, the ones that, that come through, you know, the ones that want it more than the kid next to them and want to go that extra yard. Um, and want to show that competitiveness. Uh, and not in a sulky manner, want to, want to compete. Um, for everything they do to you know to get better, and I think ultimately that's that's what differentiates you know an average player from a great player that they, they, they want to compete, they want to get better constantly, and the more you can get of that um, of that caliber, the, the better team you're going to have, and and you know make sure there's no ceiling for that as well. I, I think in Hull, I think we've been guilty previously of once somebody's made the team in Hull. You know, they're halfway there. I think, you know, across the country, at other clubs, I think they want to aspire to be the best international player they can be. And I think that's somewhere thing where we, you know, we've fell short a little bit in, in years gone by. Just um, 
sort of just on the back of that then, do you think a lot, a lot of that for you, you know, personally, obviously you went to Bradford, didn't you? Um, and was out of that sort of goldfish ball that is Hull. And I think that's, you know, where a lot of uh, lads maybe fall down within our areas simply because it is like a magnifying glass on you. Yeah, for, for a lot of reasons. I think some can fall in love with themselves and I think some can, you know, fall because of the pressure and there is pressure, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've lived it, you know, I've lived it for the last seven years as a, as a coach and years prior to that. Um, but yeah, of course, it's, 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 it's one of them. It's, you, can, you can crumble underneath it or you can, you know, count your lucky stars, you're blessed that you're playing in front of your own fans every week and that's, um, that's what's got to be done. That's, that's the attitude that's got to be taken. You know, I, I want to come out here and represent these supporters as best I can. Yeah, and you just mentioned obviously um, you know the first Wembley Cup final, but first win, um, and then ultimately back-to-back wins. Just describe what that was like as a as a coach compared to a player. <laughs> that, yeah, just sense of achievement, I think. And you know what, it was a big fingers up to everybody who sort of doubted. You know, I think when I first got the job, I was known as the pub landlord. Um, and we signed a dustbin man in Fitoli, if you remember, you know, my first season. And that's that's what was thrown about. And wherever you turned, that was, that's what was thrown in your direction. So to get up on a podium and almost say, you know, I told you so. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not much more self-gratification than that. That was, you know, that was surreal. I honestly, I honestly, you know, thought we was going to do it a third time as well. I, I genuinely did. I just, you know, we, we had an unbelievable misfortune in that game against St. Helens in the quarterfinal at, at their place. I think we got three men Simbind and had three men off the field at one point and nearly got them at the end as well. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, that's me just being greedy, I think. Obviously, with the you know with the pressure that there was um, in around, especially that first that first before that first cup final win, was there any tactics that you you know approached the game with? What was sort of going through your head? How did you manage that that first sort of big final that the club have been involved in in a while? Our kicking game was really important that 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 year. Um, in fact, both years and, and went a long way to winning the. the the competition both times. I think um, the semi-final against Leeds, you know, we'd, we'd obviously hear Mark that, that um, you know, Tommy Brisk was just coming back from a shoulder injury and, and you know, the strapping he had on his, his left arm restricted him lifting his arm above his head. So, aerially, we thought we had the jump there and I think we scored three tries off that in the semi. Um, and then in the final, um, you know, Chrissy Sandow, um, defending outside of, of Ryan Atkins, we thought, you know, if we can put Mahe on his head, we'd, we'd have a, um, an opportunity to outjump him on, on every occasion. And, and, you know, thankfully we had a, a kicker in Mark Sneed who can put the ball on a 50 pence piece when he, when he wants to. And, um, yeah, we scored some really important tries off kicks in, in, in probably the lead up and the finals in both, both seasons. Must be absolutely ecstatic when, when your tactics that you put together as a coach, a group of coaches, come off and, and the players deliver it. 
you have um, a bit of a reputation, Lee, as a bit of a tough block. Um, you know, speculation around when players don't always follow your tactics or it doesn't always go on, that you've never rolled an iron fist. Is that true? Or you know, I've heard that you've been knocking players out for fun if they don't do as a tell. I've heard that as well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah some, of the, some of the stories are crazy, you know, even when I got dismissed, I think there was some whispers going around, there was bust-ups in the changing, you know, he couldn't be fired from the trove. I think one of the, you know, my biggest attributes as a coach is my relationship with the players, you know, all of the players, um, you know, the fact that I stay in touch with, you know, 99% of the players that I've ever coached now, you know, tells you that that, that is a... Um, a big, a big part of the job, I think. And um, there's times when you have to have a stern word, with, without a doubt. You know, you have to be forceful in what you say to get your message across. There's times when you know shouting and screaming and kicking probably don't get a point across. I think you can only do that once or twice a season. Um, show that response because past that, I think it starts becoming they start becoming numb to it. So, um, and and the fact that. You've played the game as well, and you've probably sat in some of them air dryer treatments. And you know, you know yourself, you sat there not not wanting to play poorly or not wanting to execute how your how you how your coaching staff have asked you to. That you know, I can sympathise with players on in that respect as well. Um, so trying to find a solution and a way out of it sometimes you know don't don't always mean you're screaming and shouting, but sometimes I think it can have a bit of a an impact on the group. You spoke about as a player, you wanted to be that player that people wanted to have in the trench with them, beside them, um, and and trust you. And I think what you're saying there is probably reflective as a coach as well. The players you wanted them to want to play for you, and I think the relationship you you built up with all the players from being experienced or exposed to that it is genuine. It's true. The relationship you can see, and and then players want to play from you because of what the rapport you build up. I think that's a testament to your character. Yeah, again, you know, I always think back to um, Pete Sharp when Pete Sharp was at all uh, his second season. So we hit the grand final in 2006, his second season. I think he was dismissed in his second season. And I can remember going to Catalan, was playing at Catalan, we'd lost some games. I think the Paul Cup saga had just started to unravel. Um, and I can remember doing the pre-game walk around the park in Catalan and Steve Crooks pulled us and said, look, it's, it's all over the radio that Pete's going to get fired if we don't get a result today. And I, I can remember, you know, it was... Because um, I had a really strong... I still got a great relationship with Pete now and it was horrible. You know, it was an horrible feeling to think, you know, if I don't perform here, I'm going to cost this man his job. And um, I ended up playing poor, <laughs> really poor. And, and it was... It's one of them when you're in form and you're playing well. It's like flight mode. You just you just take the field. You've got a smile on your face. You've got a spring in your step. And somehow it just happens. And sometimes you can go completely the other way when you try too hard. And um, you know I can sympathise with 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 players in that respect as well. Who was the best? Uh, you maybe don't want to name anybody, or you, or you might. Who was the best player or players that you've coached, and why? Um, I know. I, th I think I am going to tell you because it probably gets sticky. He's still at the club, so yeah. Mm. Um, 
they'll just be a laughing stock around the church when they get back in training. So I'll keep that to myself. But but players that that you see go out and um, genuinely try and try and um, to you know do the action that you've asked them to. They're, they're the, that, that's satisfying as a coach when you can see that. And probably the journey you've seen them probably go on. You maybe work with them from a young age and see them come through a system and, and perform the way you know they could at top level, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's been some that surprised me. You know, some have been better than I, I thought they would have been. And some that I felt, you know, and it was a crying shame that they probably haven't had better careers, I suppose. And sometimes there's a little bit of luck involved in that. Um, in terms of selection, sometimes... There's a bit of luck involved in that in terms of who's in front of you and the quality of player that's in front of you. Um, but most of the time, I think, you know, the ones that get that opportunity and take it and then don't let it go, they're the, they're the um, players you can build a team around. We touched on earlier about, um, obviously, when you're at Bradford and, and the coaches that you've been under. Who's the best coach that you've worked with and why? I think all different. I think, I think I've worked with Technically, very good coaches, um, but, but personality-wise, you know, not somebody you'd go and have a beer with. Um, I've also worked with blokes that technically and probably work ethically don't, don't um, are at the top of the tree. But you know, the, the great, the great at, at getting a team up and off their asses. Um, so I think finding that balance is important. Um, and that's where, you know, I, I thought Peter Sharp was, real, was really good in that respect. He, technically, he was really good. He simplified things. But, he, but he, you know, if you, if you had a question, he had an answer. And, it, and it would, there was, there was um, something, be, there was substance behind the answer. Um, uh, but as a bloke as well, he was a good, he was a, he was a great bloke. And, you know, just could read his players. Some days he'd come in and could see he was hobbling about everywhere. Trying your best to get on the field, and he'd, you know he'd send you home and say come back tomorrow. And, um, you know, just just reading the group, it was very good. At. Yeah, now you've had a, obviously a bit of time, and <coughs> everyone's had a bit of time with this COVID. Like everybody has, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So much time, I think. Yeah, exactly. But with it, um, did you just did you just cough then? <laughs> <laughs> it's not isolated now. Yeah. Um, now you've had that bit of time to reflect um, on your time, especially the time that you've had at Hull. What would you say you'd like to improve in your coaching? Um, me as a coach, what I'd like to improve. Um, I think I think you're constantly, I think you're constantly wanting to improve. I think you're constantly wanting to develop. I think um, Technically, I think you want to get better and you want to adjust as, as well as you possibly can. Um, but also, I think, you know, reading people and, and knowing what to say and when to say is also important as well. Yeah. you think that's, that becomes harder when you've been at a club for such a long time? I don't know. I, I think that's, that's, you know, that longevity. There's, it's funny, I listened to a, a podcast um Last week, the Crusaders coach, I can't remember his name, Bond Edkin, and he, he, I think they've won the competition over there four or five times and created a bit of a dynasty over there. And, you know, he's, um, 
one of their strengths was the fact that they're understanding as a team. They've been together for such a long t- time. And I felt towards sort of halfway point, back end point, you know, we needed to make changes. We needed to freshen up a little bit because it does get a little bit mundane. And, and I think that's, you know, that's your Alex Ferguson's and your Wayne Bennett's and the Broncos. To have such a long reign, um, you know, that's, that's one of the sort of greatest mysteries on the planet. How, how did they continuously freshen things up? I think um, that's a difficult thing to do, particularly in rugby because the player turnover is probably not as, as big as it is in football as well. Yeah. This is a, just as we start to, to wrap things up, this is a question that I've asked everybody. Um, but what would you say, especially since you've been coaching from under eights all the way to first team, everyone's got a go-to drill. You know, when you're struggling or under the pump and you've got to pull something out, what is yeah. your favourite coaching activity and why? Um, I love a two-on-one drill. I love a two-on-one drill. Just smile on your face, ball in your hands, make a bit of a, a joke about it if somebody pats the ball down. You know, the continuous two-on-one drill, that's um, nice and simple. You need four corners, plenty of players in a ball. Happy days. I've seen you kicking rugby balls into bins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just been doing that in the garden earlier, actually. <laughs> it's one of them, though, isn't it? You know, the, the, to be fair, we've been lucky. You know that we've been able to be in around. You know, when you've been coaching, some of the stuff that is innovative that you do. You know, you think outside the box. I think you know, it's a two two beat one drill is great, but some of the stuff that you do that's not seen. I think. Um, Groundbreaking is maybe the wrong word, but you know it's innovative and you think outside the box to get the best out of your players. Yeah, I think I, that I'm a nerd like that. Not, not just at rugby, at everything though. Like I, I honestly think I'm really good at DIY sometimes and try some real mad stuff in the garage. Ninety-nine percent of it falls flat on its backside, but every now and then, you know, one one comes through. Um, we had we had some nets made at um, County Road. For, for kicking and it was a, it basically was a trampoline and I'd wired it to the to the big metal poles thinking when you when you kick the ball at it it'd spring back at you and um, putting that up took about three days and then when we kicked the first ball at it the ball just hit it and basically sank straight down the, the obviously all the boys had seen me working on it for days and days and days on end but when it yeah I've, I've, my percentage isn't really high but every now and then one will come from Confidence and self-belief, that's what you want. I keep telling myself I'm right all the time. How good you are. But again, tying into that work ethic, at County Road, there's so much stuff you, you did do. I think it's important that you probably talk about your wrestle room that you, you, you built um, <laughs> and the adaptations you had to make Everybody, everybody mocks me for that wrestle area, but I had a five grand budget and um, I, thought, I thought I'd strung every penny out for that, to be fair. And it's still there, it's still standing and it's still... People are still learning how to miss tackles in there, so it's still serving them. <laughs> it's the only building with an inside drain and gutter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many hours I've spent in there mopping the uh, condensation up off the seaweed. <laughs> so good. Uh, supports Rob's innovation theory. Well done. <laughs> the, um, the last question uh, um, on, our, on our list is about your... Ability to ask any player or coach, past or present, in any sport, a question. Who would you ask and what would you ask? Yeah, I think I just touched on it. I think it'd be Alex Ferguson and I think it would be 
longevity. How, how did you how did you continually freshen the environment up? Um, I think I know some of it because I've read a little bit of it. But um, you know, I'd like to hear it from the from the guy's mouth. I suppose they obviously had an unbelievable youth structure. So when the generation of skulls, um, yeah, sorry, Dad, a generation of skulls and Beckham and and the Nevilles came through. You know that naturally freshened things up, um, but to do it for twenty years—that's yeah, that's you know. I think I did it for seven and sort of struggled towards the last couple. Um, so to do it for twenty is is pretty special. And and I know it's different in football where you can continuously change your your medical team and your assistants and conditioning staff. You, you probably don't do that in league as much um, so that might be one answer um, but yeah I'd like to I'd like to know that Outstanding is is it reasonable to ask what's next for Lee Welford now or is there some downtime or what's his space what's his space we'll see Outstanding well look thank you for your time thanks for joining us and wish you all the best in the future lads and, and, and keep in touch no dramas cheers fellas thank you cheers lads thanks a lot Cheers, Bill. Bye.